0: From the dark web to your radio dial, you are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News twelve hundred WOAI.
1: Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host Brett Pyatt, a twenty-year internet security veteran. Joined this week by Red Thomas, the CEO of Red Knight and a former sergeant?
0: Sergeant, U.S. Army.
1: U.S. Army, okay. So, Red, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, We're going to be talking about um, some intelligence solutions, tech solutions, and things for the Department of Defense. Uh, We're going to talk about the stuff we can talk about on the radio. If you would like to learn more about what Red Knight does, uh, get yourself a security clearance, apply for a job there, or apply for a job at somewhere else in the Department of Defense, and you can learn more. So, uh, Red, thank you very much for uh, uh, joining us here today. and uh, Tell the folks a little bit about um, your company, your business, um, and uh, your background
0: here in San Antonio. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, uh, I'm an Army transplant. I was uh, stationed here in 2004, I believe it was, uh, and ended up uh, finishing up my enlistment here. I really like the city a lot, so, uh, you know, those of us with security clearances usually have the choice of here or Maryland, so I ended up uh, deciding to stay here in San Antonio. And uh, a few years after I separated uh, through just a a weird uh, series of events, I had the opportunity to uh, start a company, and originally it was just me and uh, as a consultancy, and uh, over the years it kind of grew a little bit and picked up a few people here and there, And, and now we're uh, one of the things we like to tell people is we don't really do help desk type stuff. We don't we don't put butts in seats. We put the critical butts in seats. Uh, we're the, the folks that uh, are the subject matter experts in, in whatever it is, whether it's uh, IT, uh, a lot of cybersecurity type stuff, um, intrusion detection, analytical, cyber analytics type stuff. And uh, yeah, so we've been in business since uh, 2011 and uh, have a couple different contracts with a few different uh, organizations around town and uh, really happy uh, with where we're at.
1: Oh, it's a, a great, and, and it's been an interesting one for us as we, we started this program off, and we've had some folks on from the city and county and uh, some of the, the business development organizations, and we'll talk about the 50-plus, the or maybe there's 100 cybersecurity companies here in San Antonio headquartered here and other things. Um, many of them have names that are even less descript than yours, uh, and it's it, – It's an interesting dichotomy and you you look at things like um, NSA Texas opens up everyone knows the buildings out there like you can ask them like how many people work there and they tell you we can't tell you that information but more than one yeah I mean like there's three cars in the parking lot at least every day there's more than three by the way Um, and. And you see a lot of that going on here, and we've got the the high level stats. That say, I mean, uh, from San Antonio perspective, there's um, second only in cybersecurity operations. Um, comparing San Antonio to the Baltimore and Maryland the and the Beltway area, um, that whole whole region up there. Uh, it and as, as you're going through this, and and we we look to grow more talent here in San Antonio. Um, how have you found kind of recruiting? Because you went from doing this yourself to maybe you're, you're getting some folks that are coming out of service, so they're aware of you, they're aware of the ecosystem. Uh, but for, for hiring folks that um, are coming up in San Antonio through other places, not former military, or maybe they're going to some of the university programs here now where they can – Um, You can get a clearance during the program, by the way, or university programs, by the way, folks. So if you're out at UTSA doing cybersecurity or you're at some of the other NSA or DHS accredited programs, um, talk to your advisory folks there. Um, you can look at getting pre-screened for your clearance while you're going through certain degree programs, uh, which greatly help Red's ability uh, to hire you and make you effective right away on day one.
0: <laughs> well, I would definitely say that, uh, uh, yeah, do do that early because a lot of times these clearance processes can take anywhere from, uh, I think, at, at a minimum of like maybe six months, and I've heard as much as 24, 28 months for uh, a top-secret clearance. And one of the things that I think people need to be aware of too is Uh, With that clearance, uh, most organizations also require some sort of polygraph, uh, and that's actually been a lot of our problems with working with some of the local organizations, is that folks will get out of the military with one type of polygraph, and they actually need another to be a contractor. Uh, So one of the things that you can look for if you're looking to get into the industry is uh, try to find some of those government jobs, because they don't have the same requirements uh, for uh, uh, coming in through the door that the contractors do. Uh, So you can actually go in as a govey, you know, for a little bit less pay, uh, but obviously some really great benefits and uh, get the correct polygraphs you need. And then you have the option of going uh, contractor later on if if you want. Uh, And, of course, military service is a a really phenomenal way of getting your your foot in the door because not only do you get the security clearance, but you also, of course, get uh, a really great uh, experience and a, a fantastic resume. To go along with it, yeah. So go from an O or an E to a G, mm-hmm. and then you can go from a G to a contractor. Yeah, yeah. Unless you get lucky. Now, back when I started, uh, it was it was really a lot different. We had something called the CCA conditional uh, cleared conditional access, and basically what that allowed is for someone to come in who had a polygraph, but not necessarily the correct one. Uh, to go to work with a conditional access. And then while they were working, they would be able to get a, uh, the correct polygraph uh, for that, that area. One of the problems that we run into here lately is thanks to certain individuals who all of us in the industry detest their name. Uh, a lot of those security requirements have gotten a lot more strict and a lot of those, addition, those older programs that we used to use as a pipeline to bring in uh, new people no longer exist. That's, uh, that's been a big problem for me personally because we've got contracts out there that we couldn't fill. All the right people were there. They just didn't have the correct uh, polygraph. And so we've been working with the city and the state and some, uh, some local businesses trying to find a, a way of correcting that, that pipeline. We have some good ideas, but a lot of it kind of relies on the federal government. And uh, as we all know, they're not the most responsive organizations yeah. in the world. And I think there's,
1: there's some folks that are, are working on uh, improving that process, both on the procurement side for actual intellectual property, hardware, software, but uh, on the the personnel side as well, because um, having a, a shortage, uh, whether it's actual computers or people um, can leave us in a, a vulnerable position. And cause if you have cybersecurity skills, uh, there's all sorts of options to work in the private sector where you don't have some of these these hurdles to go through. Some of the work may not be as engaging, as interesting, as as mission-fulfilling for uh, folks, which is why you have uh, many people in your area, your line of business, um, because get to work on some cool stuff. You get a fulfilling mission uh, while doing it. And it's kind of great to continue that uh, service for your country, both whether it's um, you decide to listen to one of our past programs if out there in the audience. We had a tech sergeant, Diami Baker on. I think she's been promoted uh, now, so she may not be a tech sergeant anymore, but she's the uh, Air Force's uh, lead cyber recruiter. And she talked about some programs where you can come in, they'll teach you cyber and uh, pay you to learn and then uh, pay you to to uh, go do cybersecurity, or you can go into the reserves right after that and kind of do a, a joint program in and out of the, the Air Force and your private sector employer. So uh, you can check that out on iTunes or uh, Pocket Cast or any other podcasting service out there or go directly onto our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. And, yeah, if you're looking at, at getting into some of these things, there's options out there to to go straight enlisted and, and get the education. You don't have to have the education. That's one of the, the great things about the military. They will hire you for your aptitude and attitude, and they will teach you. Um, once you're, you're out working with with Red, uh, he's got to have fill specific skills. He has to have experience, and that's what they're bringing um, his team in for. Uh, as you said, not just uh, help desk butts and seats. These are uh, trained, excellent, smart professionals that have uh, knowledge and experience already. So um, what led you? So you got out, and then five years later, you decided, you know what? I'm gonna go from working for one of the largest companies effectively in the world, the U.S. Army, um, to being a one employee person, starting your own firm.
0: Well, it was actually kind of a weird situation. I uh, I was working a a really cool mission as a contractor for one of the Fortune 500 companies here in town, and uh, really, really loved my job. I'd done it for about two or three years after I got out of the military. And uh, man, it, it was phenomenal. And I guess Hewlett Packard had uh, been developing a certain um, tool or suite of tools that they were trying to sell to my existing customer. And they had people who understood uh, DNSs and Exchange servers and all the different types of normal uh, applications and uh, servers, but they didn't have anybody who understood the mission side of things, which is where you know I'd really garnered a name as the go-to guy for that kind of stuff. And what ended up happening is they uh, they approached me about it, wanted me to come on board. I wasn't interested. Uh, there were some mix-ups in communication, and they uh, gave me a, a, a consultant rate. And uh, I decided at that point that I was going to become a consultant.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: it was quite a bit more than uh, than what I was being paid at that time. And and then the kind of the same thing happened on the other end of it. I uh, uh, that same contract grew into another contract, and I was one of the the key resumes. And I was just going to write it out because whoever won, I, I was going to have a job. Uh, but one of the uh, the bidders approached me and said, hey, we'll, we'll teach you how to hire people and how to run a company, an actual company, if you will sign with us exclusively. And uh, you know they made good on their offer, and uh, so I, I did. And we ended up winning that contract, and that was kind of where Red Knight went from being just me to me and, and about four or five other f- folks. All
1: right, so I get where you came up with at least half the name Red and Red Knight. Uh, maybe not, though, so that might not even be the the match there. But how did you decide to pick a name for the company? Because as I look at, at many of the folks um, in your area of the world, the name is not even Red Knight. It's RSG Inc. or something else like that. So,
0: Well, actually, it's a, it's a holdover from my Army days as well. Those of us who were uh, Army intelligence back in the day, uh, we'll remember a lot of the uh, the training we got, and some of the code phrases that we got in that training was Black Knight over and over and over again. So if you see Black Knight, you know it's it's intelligence related. In fact, you can see that across the intelligence industry, where you have uh, the uh, the chess piece, the Black Knight piece, uh, shows up. You know, on a lot of these Air Force logos, certainly Army logos, and so Black Knight is a one of those quintessential Army intelligence terms. And so when I was trying to come up with a name for the the company. I just got to thinking oh well you know another name for that same chess piece is the red knight because red and black are interchangeable in chess and i thought hey that's you know and it's also my name that makes sense Let, let's do that and then we can also be that that key piece to a good attack strategy because you know that's what the knight does it attacks and so we we attack problems and that's where it kind of came from i like it
1: now it's a. Uh... It's a good, fun one, and I, I mean, I think that helps from uh, the recruitment and uh, retention of your folks. Is uh, like people join the military because they want to be in a mission together and part of a team and. People join companies, you want to feel a sense of purpose, pride, mission. You want to understand all those sorts of things as well. So maybe some of your other competitors are eventually going to start doing that and coming up with better names than RSG Inc. or other completely nondescript things. So, well,
0: realize that in this industry, like none of us are, uh, advertise. If you no. need our services, you know who we are. So yeah. it's, you don't really need yeah. to have Yeah, not in catching. the yellow pages. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly.
1: Your website has contractually required minimum information on it, probably. I didn't even go <laughs> check your guys' website out. Most of the time, it's like, here's our P.O. Box address, here's the phone number where you can call and leave us a voicemail, here's the info at redknight.com email where you can send us an email, and um, that's it. And then there's, there's a background picture of maybe a chessboard with a red knight, and the rest <laughs> of the pieces are black or
0: something. Exactly. In fact, the Chamber of Commerce every year uh, sends me my my due request, and they're always adding in that extra $100 to be a part of their uh, advertisement service, and I keep telling them, no, I, I don't need that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh,
1: you've uh, so you got out, started Red Knight, been more, worked for a contractor for a
0: while, started uh, Red Knight, and then you've also started a foundation or gotten involved in one. A couple of them, actually. Yeah, the, the first one was the Conop Foundation, and part of that stemmed from when I first got out of the army. Uh, the uh, uh, brigade sergeant major sent a lot of uh, soldiers my way as they were on their way out of the uh, out of the service. And a lot of it was just kind of that basic uh, transitioning type stuff because the problem is with the typical military transition is they're very generalized. Uh, they're they're a one-stop fix for everybody, which means they're treating people who might go out and turn a wrench the same as they would somebody who's going to go out and become an IT expert. And the problem with that is that if you're uh, in the um, uh, IT or the cyber industry, you're a lot more executive in, in how you uh work in that in that field uh so when you go to negotiate for your salary you are actually negotiating for a salary not an hourly rate you're negotiating for benefits you're negotiating for and you need to know like how much uh is that job worth how much am I worth there's a lot of things that that those uh transition programs don't teach you yeah so uh, a lot of times I just go to lunch with guys and we talk about like you know how to do some of this sort of stuff and it got to the point where I was doing it like a couple times a week so I was like wow we need to we need to do something about this so we started having these paneled conversations at Magnolia Pancake House here in San Antonio. And uh, I'd invite other CEOs and educators from the local community. And we'd have these paneled conversations with all the vets that I knew were going to be getting out in the next 12 months or so. And uh, that got pretty popular. So uh, then I decided, well, we, we need something to, to put all this inside of so that, you know, I'm not carrying the check for everything. And so we uh, started the Conop Foundation. That's basically where we were going with that was that we were um, – uh, planning to, or, or we're, we're going to use it to pay for folks that want to get like a uh, certification. So you come out and you check all the right boxes. You're just missing a cert. So we'll use that. And then uh, I use my contacts on the DOD side, on the, the business side, to make sure that if there are open positions out there, we send those resumes uh, to those open positions. Prime example is just today. I had a, a guy who's on his way back from Osan getting out, wants to work in San Antonio, and he's got a very unique resume that fits a very unique position that happens to be open right now. It's not under me, it's under someone else, but uh, they know that I'm the belly button for that sort of stuff. So they send it to me and I shopped it over and, you know, the guy's going to have a job as soon as he gets off the plane.
1: Yeah, no, and that's excellent. Cause I, yeah, if you're getting out and you um, have great, uh, diesel mechanic skills, like Cat here will likely hire you immediately. <laughs> yeah. Like you can walk right over there, walk on the lot, fill out an application, get your background check cleared and you probably start working that same day. Mm. Um, but on the cybersecurity side of stuff, things are more complicated. And I think you see um, in conversations I have, some of these folks transition and they were doing really high skilled, critical, important work inside, but they didn't have a private sector recognized certification and they get out and they end up doing help desk stuff mm-hmm. and they i mean you're going through a, a big life change and then you get told that you have to kind of go back to ground one in your career and start over again and rebuild this private sector resume and a lot of the folks have a hard time with that transition oh exactly uh, well yeah. and
0: think about it i mean you're talking about guys that went into the military at 17 18 years old and, you know, in some of these cases, they may have only been in for four, four years, but they may have been in for 20. Yeah. And so they get out and, uh, you know, maybe they even have a college education. They already have experience. You know, their resume is a powerhouse. It looks like the sort of thing that ought to drive six-figure salary immediately and on the low end. And uh, they're competing against these kids that have been in college, you know, and not really maybe done much else. But um, they uh, – uh, but making that turn for them is really difficult because those, those other folks that have been in the civilian sector the whole time, you know, they've had uh, the opportunity to build a network. They've had the opportunity to learn how to do a lot of those subtle, you know, business hunting, business getting uh, skills that the military folks don't. So they're really at a disadvantage despite the fact that, you know, they have massive potential. So that was one of the things that the Conant Foundation wanted to do is, is to try to plug those people into those right jobs. Plus, I mean, a lot of times these guys get out, and they don't know how to make that turn, so they just go back home to Tennessee and farm the fields with dad. And and now, as a country, as an industry, we've lost that skill set, and that that's a crying shame. Yeah. So the other idea was well, let's try to keep these guys in San Antonio. Let's keep them here, keep them local, get them employed. It's better for everybody.
1: Yeah. So folks wanted to get involved with the Conop Foundation. Is there a website for that one? Uh, we do. It's uh, Conop.us. So there you go. Check out ConOp.us. So also, if you're uh, getting ready to transition or if you have recently transitioned, uh, you can check out another previous episode of CyberTalk Radio. We had on uh, Retired General Chris Cortez, who's uh, working for uh, Microsoft now. And the Microsoft uh, Software and Systems Academy has a cybersecurity branch here uh, on Joint Base San Antonio. So uh, you can go through a program there, get a private sector recognized a set of credentials uh, that can help you make that transition. And they also teach you beyond just the, the technical skills uh, there, some of the transition life skills, some of the transition business skills, um, the private sector interviewing and, and other things that you necessarily haven't had to do uh, while being enlisted. You, you'll usually uh, you get a, a job call and someone tells you, here's where you're going to go and here's what you're going to work on. Uh, not a lot of choosing or not as much choosing and not as much interviewing for it. Uh, so it's, well, you it's know, a, a different the, thing.
0: A lot of those guys are worried about the interview, but I always tell them there, there's no one that's going to be more intimidating than the sergeant major sitting at the board. So, I mean, don't, don't even sweat it. There's not a <laughs> civilian out there that's going to put you – on the edge of your seat, like Sergeant Major did. So yeah. you're
1: good. Oh, that's good. Folks always like to hear, like, how did you end up getting in the cybersecurity industry? So, I mean, did you grow up with computers around you from the day one beginning or your parents, engineers or computer scientists? Like, how did, how did you end up in the cybersecurity industry?
0: Oh, not even close. I, I actually grew up on a ranch in southern Oklahoma and uh, way out in the country. In fact, uh, my nearest neighbor lived about 10 miles away, and, and I like to make the joke that I married his daughter. Uh, and, and she really honestly did grow up not about 10 miles away from me. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, I was really one of the first people in my town to, to have a personal computer. There were a few others in there, but there weren't very many. And this was before like school started getting personal computers and stuff. So yeah, it was one of those things where I, I got it because I wanted to play video games. And uh, those were in the days where you had to edit the autoexec.bat and config.sys files to, to make games run. You know, whatever not, you're running out of memory or yeah. running out
1: of whatever it was?
0: Yeah. It was yeah. Not you had to know the right. different types of memory. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was crazy. But, uh, but yeah, anyway, so that kind of got me moving down that road. And, um, but you know, I was all, I was still a, um, kind of a country boy. And then, uh, I ended up going to Oklahoma state, uh, and studying engineering, electrical engineering, cause I kind of had a, a mind for that sort of thing. Uh worked at Creative Labs uh, doing help desk, and uh, then I got an internship uh, working for a manufacturing company building control systems and hated it. <laughs> they abused the heck out of me, and so I just decided that wasn't something I really wanted to do, but I'd always wanted to join the Army. And uh, it just so happened that the uh, recruiter, because of my ASVAB, suggested that particular MOS, 98 Charlie, which now is 35 November, and uh, that kind of got me into the intelligence game, and it turns out that being an intelligence analyst is the exact same thing as being a systems administrator, as being a programmer, as being all these other things, because really, uh, at the end of the day, the the job is here's a problem, here's a tool, a set of tools, you know, use the tools that you have to figure out a solution for the problem, and uh, that's actually kind of how it started. I, I learned Perl to process millions of lines of uh, code, cool, yeah. cool like stuff that we'd intercepted. And uh, that kind of got me going down that coding route. And then uh, now in the cyber world, really cybersecurity is intelligence, signals intelligence. You know, It's uh, studying yeah. the, the data in the network before you and picking out anomalous traffic and trying to put together a picture out of all this disparate data that executives can understand.
1: Back with uh, editing those autoexec.bat files, you ever get into where you edit the save game file? Just you like decide, you know what, I'm not going to be working on this thing for the next four hours or I'd like some gold and I want to be able to just go... Uh oh no that would be cheating. I yeah, mean would that's no no no. See, I have oh. to take
0: a polygraph test and they ask for things like they that. They ask for things yeah. like that. So are nev- you a cheater? Yeah, did you did, did you me.
1: ever edit a save game file? No. <laughs> yeah. Ever add <laughs> no, gold No. Actually to no,
0: I honestly never have done that. I think the only example that I have done it on is Kerbal Space Program, which by the way one of my favorite uh, games on the planet right now. Yeah, happy to plug that kids, thing on the radio, yeah, yeah it's amazing. You you need to, you need to check that game out, especially if you got kids. But I, I have edited uh, some of their craft files a couple times to move my ship because something got bugged out.
1: Yeah, and there's so many. I think folks from kind of our era and our generation that ended up like whether it's having to edit memory settings for different types of memory or wanting to add more gold to buy equipment or uh, like with a lot of the first person shooters, um, there were a lot of like where you could go build your own map and edit your own maps and do your own things. Now I did
0: that for doom. Like I I built a few of my own maps for doom, which I thought was really, really cool and had a lot of fun with that. And I I think those early days, that's why I tell parents a lot of times, don't get too mad at your kids for playing video games, pick, pick smart games, games that, you know, you want that are going to teach them something. So I really recommend like Minecraft, Kerbal Space Program, games like that are really good, and then also games that just make kids think strategically, so like a lot of these uh, strategy games like Civilizations, uh, Total War, stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and then uh, you kind of get into the next level of it is where uh, folks start writing their own plugins or add-ons for something like World of Warcraft or many Mm -hmm. of these other games that allow you to to, uh, write add-ons, and that's uh, for parents out there listening. um, Those things are written in in full programming languages, so Mm -hmm. Um, it's not just some weird specific thing to the video game that only applies to the video game. They're learning, um, in most cases, kind of uh, real module-based programming for things that you're going to go uh, write and use out there in industry. Just instead of capturing a bunch of telemetry data for all the different fireballs flying around the screen to put some summary up, you, the same thing that Red and Teams are working on, you're capturing telemetry information from all the Internet and trying to put summary up for an executive. So It's a gateway drug. <laughs> yeah, gateway drug to a high-paying
0: job. Well, and you know, and I would add that uh, one of the things that uh, parents should also be aware of, and that is, it's not just about the code; it's also just about the mindset, the the skill of being able to take a problem and solve it, whatever the tools are. That uh, basic grasp of logic: this and this and this must be this is critical in almost any job you're going to have out there, but especially if you're doing anything IT or cyber-related.
1: Yeah, and if you you have kids now, the complex problem-solving and critical thinking is going to become uh, even more important to your career success as a a lot of the basic analysis is going to be handled by machines as uh, computers keep getting cheaper, and they're really good at very specific tasks and doing it repetitively over and over. They are not very good yet at uh, complex things with high levels of ambiguity, and they're not mm-hmm. going to be um, good at that for at least the next 20 years, and we'll see um, how quickly uh, processing speeds continue to evolve. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and we're going to take a quick break here at the bottom of the hour for news, traffic, and weather update, and then Red and I will be back to continue this conversation. Welcome back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year Internet security veteran, joined uh, by Red Thomas this week, CEO of Red Knight. Heading into the uh, bottom of the hour break, we were uh, talking through some stuff about uh, letting your kids play video games, some of the value, some of the things they learn there. If you're just joining us now after the break, uh, you can listen to the rebroadcast of this episode uh, on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday. Uh, following uh, this weekend here if uh, you wanted to listen to uh, this or any of the other past episodes as well they're also uh, on iTunes podcasts or uh, pretty much any podcasting service available on your Android device Uh, personally I like Pocket Cast they are not a sponsor of the program so I'm giving them a free plug because I actually like their product so uh, Red what we you were going to say something about high school kids and and other stuff about what they're doing video games and some more of the value of them playing them
0: Oh, yeah. I think part of it is that, you know, one of the things that we're missing a lot in high school, especially for kids that are in the cyber IT kind of mindset, you know, these aren't exactly the most athletic kids on the planet a lot of times that like me. And uh, so one of the things that we do that's competitive is video games. And uh, one of the really great lessons that we learned from video games is uh, failure, like how to embrace failure, how to understand failure, because you might get a uh, you know, just completely rolled in a game called Duty or whatever. And a lot of kids will, will act out and get frustrated and, and uh, get angry, but I, I think it's an opportunity to teach kids not to get frustrated because really, you know, the, the games that you play and that you just win super easily are not that much fun, that you don't go back to them. You play them a few times and you set them down, but the games that you consistently have to push and struggle and try to uh, be successful at, those are the ones that are the most fun and that you come back to. And once you kind of recognize that, then those losses stop hurting as bad and they start becoming a lot more rewarding because it means that you're playing against someone who is worthy of being played against. That's, that's your opportunity to grow. And, you know, from a cyber spe- perspective, that's really critical, really just from a life perspective. It's critical to embrace failure. And as businessmen, you know, we we know this and have embraced it fully. But uh, But on the cyber side, you know, if you don't, Accept the potential uh risk of failure. Then a lot of times it's going to keep you from standing up and saying that something is odd, because you're afraid people are going to make fun of you. But and that's why it's really important to to learn to accept that and to be okay with it, and, and to realize that the rest of us in this industry are absolutely okay with it. If you say, "Hey, this is weird. I think this is a problem," and it turns out to be nothing. No one's going to make fun of you for that, or at least not you know not good naturedly. Yeah. You know, but uh, but you know, withholding it and not telling people that you've noticed something weird and it is serious. I mean, that could be a big problem and, and you might've missed the opportunity to, to stop an adversary from doing something nasty on your network.
1: No, for sure. And I mean, as you, you think about the, um, many, much of the data that's been coming out lately says that, uh, folks that participate in competitive team sports, uh, are more productive employees. They, uh, know how to work in groups together better. They know how to accomplish tasks in a deadline. They know how to be counted on by the people that are around them. Uh, and it's not just physical athletic sports, I think, where you can learn this, as uh, Red saying there. Uh, many of the the different uh, gaming things out there, these are leagues, these are teams that practice on a regular basis, these are people that play together on a regular basis, uh, they're coming up with strategies, they have playbooks just like the football playbook, um, except they're not getting their head smashed in, and look, I, I played both uh, football as a kid growing up and I played uh, competitive uh, video gaming. Uh, through all sorts of different things, and uh, I think you really learn uh, many of the same—the success, the failure. Being able to go through and do that postmortem analysis of what mm-hmm. did we just do—it's like you go watch the game film the the Monday after you you got your butt kicked on Friday, and uh, in football, you can do the same thing. You're going back watching a replay of what happened. How did that guy sneak in there? Or Um, how did they build that tower over there or whatever kind of game it is you're going back and trying to figure out what was it that you missed so that you could not have that happen the second time and this plays right into uh, maybe now in high school, uh, middle school as well. You can go; uh, your kids can play Cyber Patriot. It's a team sport, cybersecurity team sport. We've talked about that uh, a ton here on the program. We've even interviewed some kids that are on teams. So please go back and listen to some of those uh, past episodes uh, to learn about that. But it's a team sport that should be available at your your kids' uh, schools here in San Antonio. And if, if there's a school that does not have it available, um, let me know uh, here at the program. Uh, go to the Cyber Texas Foundation, let them know, and uh, we will uh, look to see what we can do to get uh, someone out there to coach and get that going uh, at the, the school in your area. But this is, yeah, I mean, all critical stuff to learn. And uh, so if your kids are just goofing around playing video games and not trying to learn anything, I mean, that's the same as, as just going to do anything where you're not trying to get better at it, you're not trying to improve skills. Uh, and But if they're on a team and they say, Like, Mom, Dad, I need to be at this at 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. tonight. And they've got Mm -hmm. a scheduled practice. They're learning to show up on time. And all those types of activities that you uh, want, these are things that are building responsibility development and uh, can be very important as you're going forward there. So ask some more questions, learn about what they're doing, um, and this could be a good developmental experience and not
0: just them goofing off wasting time. Well, you know, and professionals uh, play games all the time too because there's not a – Defcon conference or Black Hat conference, B sides or any of these other technical conferences that you go to, that they don't have a Capture the Flag uh, competition going on. And th- these are, you know, uh, security professionals, inf- information security professionals that are competing. They have a red team that's being aggressive, and they have a blue team that's defending. Or sometimes they have multiple red teams, you know, trying to uh, to capture a, a specific point in memory and make set the right flag and then defend that system against all the other attackers. And those are you know, it's a way, the gamification of any occupa- occupation is a great way to um, uh, to encourage people to expand their professionalism, to expand their knowledge and ability in a certain area. So I, I think uh, video games, you know, really get a bad rep and, and really should be a little bit more heavily promoted because it's just a great way to, to teach kids not to think, but how to think, how to process information, how to uh, go about. Uh, coming up with a plan or a strategy logically. And then uh, it wasn't von Clausewitz; It was one of uh, his predecessors. Uh, Prussian General was the one who made the comment, no plan, uh, battle plan survives uh, contact with the enemy. And that's absolutely true. And that's something that you learn in sports that you also learn in games. You have a strategy, but then once you actually engage with the adversary, things change. And learning to be adaptable and to change your, your plan on the fly like that, that is highly valuable, especially if you're in a high-pressure you know, cyber threat situation where you've got someone who is actively penetrating your network, actively trying to uh, uh, to exfiltrate information and data. How do you react immediately to solve that problem? To sh- either shut them down or to track it back to its source, find out who they are. And and there's just a hundred different variables that go into figuring out you know what you should do, what's the best choice, and and. Putting yeah. a plan together and taking action on it.
1: And you learn to make time-bound decisions yes. in video games. Exactly. Um, yeah, which you have to make time-bound decisions in those um, network intrusion scenarios. Um, and but not console games.
0: You know, we're, we're PC gamers, and, you know, PC gamers are the best. Don't let your kids play consoles. It's bad for their health. It'll yeah. rot their brains. No. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's
1: a little funny. <laughs> it's a little bit true, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, I encourage it's Is getting your kids on the computer because they're going to learn more, uh, again, about practical things on there. It's like, how does the memory work? How does the graphics (laughs) card work? How does the network card work? How to, like, Put video capture software on there so they can record the session. They can effectively be the offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator for their team. They can do these different things on a computer that they can't really do on their console. the console, you can show up and play and you can hang out. You can even play competitively on a console, but there's uh, just a a much more um, broad set of skills you're going to learn from a PC perspective.
0: Which, by the way, I mean, if your kids are learning how to stream, guess what they're also learning how to do? To give briefings, to give you know, seminars on what it is that the, that they're doing or what information other people need to know. That information sharing, you know, uh, mindset is something that's really critical, especially in the cyber industry. And, it, you know, it's just people don't realize how asymmetric some of our learning is, is these days. Uh, it's not all sit down in a classroom and learn things by rote because your teacher says this. A lot of it is, are skills that people are picking up in the strangest places. But, you know, once you recognize it for what it is and, and you learn to kind of uh, point kids more at it and make sure they're aware of what they're doing then the the value added is just it's like we said in the military it's a, a force multiplier
1: yeah so we we recently had jim perschbach who's the new ceo of port san antonio on the program uh and he was talking about um some of the new project tech and things they've got going out there um talked about the uh the SAMSAT museum that david monroe's got uh, up and running uh, out of that facility so uh, you're working on something or involved with something else out there as well correct
0: yeah, we have something called SAMSOC. It's the San Antonio Multidiscipline Security Operations Center, uh, and it's out at the port as well. Uh, Jim is an a absolutely brilliant guy. I think he's, he's really taking the port in a very uh, intelligent direction. And one of the things that uh, myself and Cindy McCluster and Rob Dodson uh, decided, and funny enough, over a meeting at Magnolia Pancake House, which you know, is a recurring theme, uh, but so we, which uh, of the two locations is better? I, I, you know, it's a toss-up. I go to the one on medical because it's a little bit closer to my house, and okay. I know everybody there now. But uh, I know a lot of people who swear by embassy, and that's where all the, the highfalutin politicians and stuff go. So if you if you want to see famous people, go to embassy. If you just want good food and quiet, yeah. well, sometimes quiet, go to the uh, the. The medical, location. the medical center
1: location. Yeah. Okay, so back to your story about what's going on out there. So you're at Magnolia Pancake House, and if you want to find Red, apparently go over to the medical center location.
0: Yeah, I'm actually I'm there every Saturday and Sunday. I'm, yeah. it's it's like clockwork. But uh, but yeah, no. If uh, so we just sat down and we were talking about some of the different things that we were working on. Rob uh runs a nonprofit called uh, Red Cell San Antonio. They do like uh, penetration testing and stuff like that for local folks. And Cindy runs a company called uh, DC Industries. Uh, they do training for a lot of uh, the folks here locally and uh, like technical training. And uh, when we started comparing notes, we realized that there was a lot of intersection. And so uh, we all had a passion for trying to promote cybersecurity in San Antonio. So we got together and formed uh, the SAMSOC Foundation. Uh, and basically what it is, is we're standing up an environment uh, that is uh, going to have a virtual range so folks can come in and test products and uh, try out ideas. And so we're going to have a collaboration side and innovation side. And the collaboration side, you just sort of like them, I guess. You show up, and there's a bunch of whiteboards, and you can write stuff down and and uh, uh, come up with ideas and work them all, all out. And then the innovation side is uh, you test those ideas out. If you've come up with a product, then you can throw it in the vir- virtual range. we will simulate a medium or small business environment, and you can try it out. Because one of the problems that a lot of uh, innovators have is they'll, they'll kitchen table the product, and they'll get to a point where okay, they've they've tested it as heavily as they can test it, and they need to take that next step. Well, that scalability issue kills a lot of really good ideas because they just don't make that jump well. So we thought, well, let's let's see if we can find an environment where, or create an environment where people can come in and try it ahead of time, know what the problems are, and that way you don't fall on your face in front of a potential customer. You know, so that was that was kind of the genesis of it, and uh, that grew into the SamSung. And now, you know, we've been talking with Jim out of the port a lot about trying to support what they're doing at Port San Antonio. And uh, Samsung, I think, going forward is going to be a big piece of that.
1: Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. And to, there's, uh, I mean, some other f- folks, yeah, working on a cyber proving ground and some mm-hmm. other things out there that, um, maybe this not necessarily a uh, private sector ideas, which you can do there. It sounds like at the Samsock foundation, but this, uh, to try to help on the military procurement side where you can get in. And if you're have a product, you can get it in and get it tested and get it reviewed and, and get it through to where, um, the, maybe the, the different DOD or three-letter agency clients have an opportunity to use your technology through a, a more advanced, um, simplified procurement uh, process. So this has, by the way, been a, a frequent topic for, mm-hmm. for us in the program. Uh, Congressman Will Hurd's been on before talking about some of the, his effort to try to, to simplify the procurement process, um, and then just uh, other folks uh, across the industry, and that procurement process, for folks that haven't listened to those and, and won't go back for the rebroadcast, the short version is military procurement was designed when a platform was a plane like a B-52, and that airframe was going to last for 50 years. And a munition system on that that plane might last for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, where that, that ordinance is going to be a, a an attack tool they're going to use. doesn't work in the cyber world. A, an attack platform, whether it's a, a PC server hardware or other type of piece, is going to last realistically it should get turned over probably every two or three years if you're going to be on the offensive side of stuff. Sadly enough, many of our folks are using 5 or 7 or 8 or 10-year-old servers because they can't procure them quickly enough. And then software that runs on there needs to be refreshed every 12 to 18 months. It's not refreshed that quickly, Um, sadly enough. And a lot of those ordinances, like in the cyber world, an ordinance is an attack that is um, usable against an enemy software or hardware target and those things might be good for three weeks they might be good for three months very rarely are they useful for three years Mm -hmm. and um the the procurement cycle if it takes you three years to buy a new thing By the time you've bought it, it's already useless. So um, this stuff's got to get changed. So if you're um, in the industry, um, there's folks we're going to be out here on the radio talking about. We're going to be trying to um, speak with congressmen. There's a chamber of commerce here does a a lot of uh, D.C. trips every year talking about many of these problems. So there's awareness out there. Uh, We've just got to get kind of push folks to to act and, and help improve this. Uh, Now, you hear me say all the doom and gloom. We're still doing a better job from my perspective sitting out here on the non-classified side of the world. Um, I feel safe and I'm pretty knowledgeable about this industry that we're doing a better job than uh, everybody else out there. So all of the other militaries of the world also have all these same or potentially even worse procurement problems. Um, And this has led, there's been recent articles where the Air Force is writing a lot of their own software now, so are other agencies. So writing their own software, they get to skip the procurement process, but that creates other sets of complications. So um, getting procurement fixed is going to be important. So if uh, you're out there, please push the politicians to take that action to go to go do those things.
0: Uh, so you actually, you mentioned Will Hurd, and I don't know uh, if you oh. saw it or were involved with it in any way, but you know he recently hosted a bunch of folks in the Ukraine. Uh, I think they started off in Georgia first, and then they came out here to UTSA and gave a talk about some of the things that were going on. Uh, with their power grid attack a few yeah, years ago they got ago. attacked a while back yeah know. in 2015 uh, actually they've been attacked multiple times and actually uh in austin just a couple of weeks ago i gave a talk to the about this at the uh, uh dir conference the texas state government forum on data or something like that can't yeah. remember what the, the really long state name was for it but uh you know, people people need to realize that this is this is really a, a serious situation. And Will Hurt, I will say, has been really forward-leaning in addressing it and trying to, to move forward on, on improving our defensive posture. So uh, basically what happened was in early 2015, uh, and it maybe even had started in 2014, uh, a certain unnamed state actor had decided that they wanted to uh, impact a certain industry in the Ukraine. And so in early uh, 2015, they started a, an email spear phishing campaign with some Word documents that had some malware attached to it. Uh, and they targeted an industry, and that's pretty critical. They weren't targeting companies. They targeted an entire industry because they had a large you know, idea in mind. Uh, out of the 24, I think, companies that were involved, they were actually able to uh, uh, exploit three of them. And uh, those three companies, uh, you know, throughout the, the summer, they collected information on what their network topology looked like, eventually they penetrated their uh, domain controllers so they were able to access their credential information for uh, all the parties there. And uh, they eventually were able to get through the VPN into their SCADA networks. And for folks who don't know what SCADA is, that's that's the control systems that, uh, that manage all the electrical systems because it's a different type of technology than your normal uh, computer-based uh, network. But the main thing is that once they did that, they spent the rest of the summer and fall uh, profiling and learning and understanding both the uh, the corporate network and that SCADA network and and then developing firmware for some of the hardware devices in that SCADA network. And then I think it was December 23rd, I, I think, uh, that they um, uh, started their attack. And, and I want to say it was at 15.30, uh, 3.30 uh, uh, that they started it. And over an hour and a half, they uh, started off by shutting off the APCs for the control centers. uh, So the people who were managing these data networks were suddenly in the dark. Then they did a denial of service attack on their phone system. So all the customers that suddenly started having power outages couldn't call in. And uh, what they created was a situation where the people who managed the power did not know that the power was being shut off across the Ukraine. And uh, they weren't be able to be called because their customers couldn't get through. And uh, through about an hour and a half, at the end of the hour and a half, 30 substations had been taken offline. 230,000 customers were without power. And then they finished it all off by uh, flashing a bunch of this uh, uh, their network devices in the SCADA network so they couldn't get back in to turn things back on. And then they ran uh, some malware to kill a whole bunch of files, uh, system administrative-related files, on the, uh, the corporate network. So they did a tremendous amount of damage in just uh, about an hour and a half. And I think indications are they had about 20 individuals that were uh, a part of this attacking team. And that's a big deal. And a lot of people look at the Ukraine and they say, well, it was the Ukraine. These guys are, you know, they're they're backwater country. They don't know what they're doing. But the reality is, is these dudes were on the stuff. I mean, they knew what they were doing. They did a phenomenal job. And they still got rolled. In fact, it's, only, it's a testament to how good a job that they did, that they had their auditing in place, they had their firewalls in place. We were able to construct minute by minute, even second by second, what the adversary did in their network because they did their job so well. And I think that's what people need to realize about these sorts of attacks. A lot of times it's not about stopping the bad guy. It's, it's about logging and auditing what the bad guy did so that we understand it and we can keep them from doing that again. And then you think, well, they, they knew about it. So, you know, they, they took steps. That didn't stop that same actor the next year, almost to the day of uh, running an attack against uh, some power plants in Kiev. And the crazy thing about that is that, uh, again, these guys, knowing what they were doing, uh, were able to actually capture the payload, uh, one of the malicious uh, payloads that they used. And when, our, when the reverse engineers looked through it and kind of studied it, they found some really surprising things. First of all, it's automated, sort of like Stuxnet. It goes out there and finds the right stuff and shuts it down. On top of that, it also uh, appears to have had a payload that specifically targets hardware or uh, power infrastructure, disables the safety protocols, and then overheats it so you can't turn it off. So it physically damages some of the stuff that's the most difficult to replace. I mean, you couldn't replace this stuff in months if it was just a few of them. Imagine if they shut down thousands of them, and that's the kicker. The, because the stuff is automated, the same people that could have uh, the same 20 people that took down 30 substations could easily take down thousands of substations, put millions of customers out of power. And so, you know, it's really important that we pay attention to what's happening overseas, because those are the same adversaries that we're facing. And you know, I'm I'm not here to campaign for Will Hurd, but I would definitely tell people that uh, he has been very forward leaning in trying to help us capture the tools, develop the correct acquisition processes, and really move forward as a defense community at addressing those kinds of issues. Yeah. No,
1: he just happens to be yeah in this general region uh, in Congress, but in Congress uh, across the whole board, I think he's one of uh, only five right now computer scientists um, out there. And then you also do not have a lot of former... Um, either military on the intelligence and cyber side, not many folks with that background, and then not many, a lot of folks with CIA background. So just from a perspective, he's well set up um, to be able to be helpful um, for the things in the cyber industry i think uh that texas district 23 um whether he wins or whether uh gina jones ortiz wins uh either she's also has a background in this and can be helpful in those type of areas so i think texas is going to continue to represent and uh, try to help push some of these issues uh forward to the light back there in washington dc to get them addressed but i mean that ukraine attack is just i from my view um, sitting on the, the um, civilian sidelines and, and working um, all the way from small business now, which we try to help, uh, through to some very large scale, even um, state and local government customers uh, in my, my former times and career. This looked much like a, a test to me, <laughs> not a full rollout capability. So, this is almost kind of like a military exercise training operation but they wanted to do a real world test of a training operation Um, and i think about this and then there was a big denial of service attack up on the east coast um, roughly two years ago now Uh, used a bunch of internet of things devices to take offline twitter and a whole bunch of other services had problems during that outage that also looked like a proof of concept test to me that did not look like a here's the massive amount of damage we can afflict with this so uh, folks are building up some interesting uh, attack tools out there and and sitting around uh, waiting to press a button. And, I mean, some of those, like you said, they can cause real physical damage to physical equipment. So everyone's like, all these cyber attacks, the worst they can do is change a zero to a one, change a bit to a byte here. They can delete records. They can do these other things. No, I mean, that there's um, software out there like this malware that can damage your power infrastructure, but there's other software that can damage the the hard drive on your computer. Well, just um, look
0: at uh, Hurricane Harvey. I mean, you know, uh, we didn't have a fuel crisis when, her, after Hurricane Harvey. Yeah. You know, if you talk to anyone, there were no problems. But something got around on social media, and suddenly people panicked, and that panic created a short uh, a fuel crisis. Now, yeah. imagine... If a certain state actor, you know, were to attack a power grid or some sort of critical infrastructure, even if they cause just a modest amount of damage and then follow that up with a social media campaign, which they have also demonstrated a certain capacity for uh, to exacerbate you know, the effect of that, you know, then you really are starting to talk about uh, some massive uh, damage. And, and the problem is, is that, you know, so that interrupts the city of San Antonio. Or whatever city. Yeah. Uh, well, that interruption also interrupts the lives of individuals. While well, individuals make up these other organizations, like these three letters and military organizations, you know, it's really difficult to attack them. But if you can disrupt the lives of the people that make those organizations up, you have disrupted yeah. th- those organizations. And that that form of asymmetric warfare is the the new warfare that we're moving into. That's what we need to get a lot better at. We need to really uh, learn the new cyber battlefield in a way that. Uh, you know, a lot of our current military leadership, as great as they are, as phenomenal as, as they are at what they do, they just haven't developed the skills yet to really be superior on that. And, and I think we as a country could do a, a, a lot better at it.
1: Well, thank you very much for joining us. If you uh, just turned on uh, the radio right now, you can listen to rebroadcast of this uh, for CyberTalk Radio on Tuesday uh, on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com.